things together. Well, we are in the season of Lent. We are making our way towards Jerusalem. And we are doing that together as a community. And by the way, I want you to notice that for our last few weeks, we've been having an introit that has been written by somebody within the congregation. It's easy to miss that because we just see the little name uh, as, as we would any composer uh, right next to the, the piece of the introit uh, within our worship service. But actually, uh, that those have been composed specifically by folks within our congregation uh, for this season of Lent. So there are a lot of creative ways that we are walking along this road to Jerusalem together. And today we come to a text that is all about something that any, all of us in this room have experienced in one way or another. And so the question I have for you this morning is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Now, if I'm honest, I need to let you know that there's a lot that I'm afraid of. I have times when I worry about my children. I worry about their future. I worry about death, the death of a loved one. I worry about my own death. I worry about the earth. I worry, uh, I have nights where this fear uh, grips me, and it feels sort of paralyzing at times, almost like a disease. And I wonder if there's ever times when you have felt that way, where the fear becomes so big that it feels paralyzing and overwhelming before you. Now I wanna let you know that I'm not proud of the person that I am when I'm afraid. I feel like sometimes that there's two people within me. There's the one that I know who has fear in perspective and is able to sort of look at a situation and rationalize it out. And then there's the person that I know who has fear out of perspective, who feels sort of shriveled up and scared and wondering how to navigate the next step. I can tell you that when I feel gripped by fear, that I do not have the capacity for imaginative thinking. That I do not have the capacity for cognitive reasoning. And I can tell you that the behavior that I have when I feel that element of fear looks more like lizard behavior than like human behavior. And I'm learning that there is a reason for this. That in fact, fear pushes us back into our old survival brain. It works its best work within our amygdala. Anxiety and fear, you see, are are managed within this very old part of the brain that has a very important job. See predator, run. Hungry, need food. It's a very important part of the brain, but yet there's no luxury of reflection in this world of fear. And that is as it should be because there are many times when fear has served us well when it comes to this process of survival. 
However, it's interesting that the Bible continues to give us this message to remind us not to fear. How many times have we heard the words, do not be afraid or have no fear within the context of either the Old or the New Testament? It's something that shows up all the time. Because the reality is that God knows that we are often faced with this complexity of wrestling with our old brain. So how do we get to the other side of fear? If you've ever worked with a child who is afraid, you know that saying don't be afraid works just about as good as nothing, right? Doesn't help. It's one thing to be afraid and to be encouraged not to be afraid, but it is something entirely different to actually be ushered in to the other side of fear. And today, what Jesus is going to do with his disciples is that he is going to take them on a journey through their fear and help them to land up on the other side. You see, keep in mind that our disciples today are afraid. The tenor of Jesus' teaching has changed. He's no longer walking into towns, which is what he used to do. Now he's walking through towns, and he passes through Galilee because he doesn't anymore want to share his teaching there. In a way, Jesus has sort of had enough. He's now set his sights on something bigger. He knows that he is looking towards Jerusalem. And as he looks, for, looks towards Jerusalem, he knows that he needs to tell his disciples this cryptic and seemingly quiet message that the Son of Man is going to be given into human hands and is going to die. And then on the third day will rise again. The disciples are hearing this message, but they don't understand it. And all of a sudden, the road that they're on seems very different than the one that they were on a few years ago when they were going into towns and talking to people about the kingdom of God. And they have no idea how to make sense of this change. They don't live on the other side of the crucifixion. They live before it. And so they do what many of us would do in this room, what I would do in this room. They react in fear. And what happens when they're afraid? Well, their behavior changes. And they land up bickering and competing and needling with one another and arguing about who is the best. Well, fear can do that. It ends up creeping into our relationship. It comes as competition and insecurity. Sometimes it shows up as rigid dogma that is totally inflexible. How often have you maybe had an encounter with somebody who just feels impossible to talk to? Somehow they can't quite see your side of the story. Often that is how we all end up when we are somehow gripped by fear. It creeps in and it makes us do things that are utterly ridiculous, like arguing about who is best. The disciples don't often display this kind of behavior, 
And all of a sudden, in the absence of their own confidence, in the absence of their own understanding, when all of a sudden they feel like the world is closing in on them and they do not know how to make sense of the reality that they see, they turn into somebody that we barely recognize because all of a sudden they are afraid. Peter Steinke, in his seminal work on helping congregations through their change, analyzes how fear works in human behavior. He analyzes how fear works in human behavior, and he says this, when we are flooded with anxiety, we can neither hear what is being said without distortion. So we can hear, we cannot hear what is being said without distortion, nor do we have the capacity to respond with clarity. Our mindset, he says, is in imaginative gridlock. We obsess about threat, and our chances of thinking are almost non-existent. So what do we do when that happens? We start arguing about who is the greatest. It's reactive, really, out of the fear that they could be losing Jesus or the fear that something very bad could happen. They start sussing up out amongst themselves who is the greatest of all. Not that that information even matters. Not that that information is actually going to even do anything in the situation in which they find themselves in. But they need a place to channel their anxious energy, and so they turn towards each other in imaginative gridlock and start arguing about this useless piece of information, which is who is the greatest? How many times has your own fear turned you against a loved one, turns you towards behavior that later upon, refle- upon reflection you have deemed less than useful. It happens to all of us. We become scared that God doesn't see us, scared that something out of the ordinary would happen, scared that something that is totally out of our control is suddenly upon us. And that feeling snowballs, and all of a sudden we're abandoned and isolated and scared. It's a terrible feeling. It's easy to judge the disciples when we see this behavior, but when we really feel that fear, that's a totally different story. It's devastating to feel so afraid. Well, just as when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he speaks truth to power, so in this situation, when he sees that his disciples are afraid, he speaks love to fear. He speaks love to fear. And he first makes them notice the fear. That's the first step in recognizing the ability to overcome it is to notice that it's even happening. And he asks them, what were you talking about along the road? 
Now, of course, they don't respond because they know that what they were talking about was ridiculous. They stay silent, but he makes them remember it later when they're in the house, likely when they're in a much more rational state. He calls their mind to the fact that the fear was there. And then he does a few other things. He sits down. I love this. In the middle of this sort of crazy behavior from the disciples, Jesus sits down. He sits down in the middle of the fear. He wants them to know, I am with you. I can handle this with you. Your fear is not going to scare me off. And then he invites a child into the middle of this space. He reorients their focus and he changes the circle of power. And all of a sudden, they have to look to somebody else in order to make sense of their own reality. The focus is no longer on their own fear, but it's on the child that's in their midst. If you've ever been afraid, you know how hard it is. I wonder if someone could just help that individual get to be in a more comfortable space. Thank you. We've got some friends that are working on it over there. There's nothing worse than being uncomfortable in worship. This is why we have all of our pathways open for people to be able to move around and how frustrating it can be when you can't use those the way you'd like. Thank you, everybody. If you've ever been afraid, you know how hard it can be to transform that fear into something else. But in our text today, what Jesus does is he invites the disciples to transform their fear into the space to receive. That's ultimately the invitation that he gives them. If you receive a child, then you have received me. And you haven't just received me, but you've received the one who sent me. So he invites them to take the space that occupies the fear within their life and instead to put something else there, something that's smaller than them, something that is more vulnerable than them. And in that space, as they can receive that child, so they will find that their fear slowly begins to ebb away. Friends, our brains are bigger than our amygdalas. We have another part of our brain called the left prefrontal cortex. It's the part of our brain that enables us to make different decisions, that gives us the capacity to push ourselves beyond our fear from survival or out of survival. Through our prefrontal cortex, we can think critically, we can regulate our emotional impulses, we can use imagination, and we can project into the future. And Jesus calls us to use this piece of who we are 
in order to transcend our fear and to move into something new. In Peter Steinke's seminal work, he leaves us with this question. He says, The brain is an incredible instrument, but whether it is the service of a chronically anxious person or a reflective person makes a world of difference. Notice that when Jesus taught people, he directed his energy to their left prefrontal cortex, not to the amygdala. He sought to reach people thoughtfully, not reactively. He told stories, he asked questions, he spoke about the future. He respected and noticed those who came to him. Both Jesus' invitation to trust God's unconditional love and the instruction on loving action are designed to free us from our survival brain with its defensive instincts. Could we imagine Jesus saying something like this to us? Come, let go of all of your survival schemes and follow me. Do you think that an eye for an eye is better than a new way of seeing? Can you instead become like a little child again, the way you were before you learned all of your self-protective reactions? Do you think your survival strategies are long-lasting? Don't they last for a moment, but not for the long run? Doesn't the lower brain play it safe? Doesn't it like repetition and precedence? It won't shake habits. Can you instead risk yourself, throw yourself to the winds, and drop your defenses? Will you use your holy tissue, this other part of your brain, to do the work that is holy, being set apart to lead my people? Friends, the invitation during Lent and the invitation that Jesus offers us today is not to mere survival, but instead to growth and change. Even, and perhaps especially, when we are afraid. And Jesus walks with us into that ability, not forcefully, but creatively. Not quickly, but by intention. Not by way of shame, but by way of invitation. Can you see the child in your midst? Can you reorient what it means to be the greatest around that one? And as you can receive, so you can receive me. Can you imagine a world where your fear is not what is driving you? Let us pray. Gracious God, we are full of a world with many things that push and excite this piece of our brain that helps us to survive. We ask that by your spirit that you would awaken this imaginative and reflective side of who we are, that we would be able to live beyond our impulses, not to ignore them, but to move through them. We ask that you would lead us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let us stand. Mm-hmm.